0: Welcome to the Car, Sim and Race Driver Show, presented by Hugh Hattrick. Drive fast and try not to crash. Good good afternoon. I was going to say good morning, but it's good afternoon. It's fantastic to see you all, all who are watching from all around the world, to the Car, Sim and Race Driver Show on a special event that we have today, which normally would be in the evening, but we thought we'll catch you out. We'll do it all at two o'clock in the afternoon. It is the commentator and sim specialist. It is Jake Sperry. Good afternoon, Jake. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Very, very welcome. Now, when I looked on your Facebook page, I saw an enormous history of sim racing and commentating and all these things. So the first question has to be, How did it all begin? How did you start your sim racing career and sim commentating career? Uh,
1: It all started with a failed relationship, which I think is going to be the weird way to say it. It all started with a failed relationship. I was 17 years of age at the time. And um, I think it was safe to say that I was looking for something to do to spend my time and really try and get myself into, Okay, what's next for me as a 17 year old kid who's not doing very well in his as levels and all the rest of it and i saw on youtube i saw apex online racing's uh pro mazda events and what they were doing at the time with uh knut martinson fizzy fan 91 and I, I i saw that and it was i racing at the time and i thought this is incredible this is a game that i've never seen before i've never seen something look so realistic so brilliant at the time and we're talking 2015 i think at the time and i was like oh this is brilliant except for the fact that you had fizzyfan91 commenting on his own races and i i thought that was weird at the time so i was like well i'm a plucky 17 year old kid who's made no impression anywhere at all on the internet I, I, can, I can do that for you. Well, why not? I can do that for you. And uh, unfortunately, they said yes. And now everyone's been stuck with me for the last six years. <laughs> oh,
0: that's fantastic. So you just basically asked the question if you could commentate on the champs' races. And he said yes. Uh, that just shows you, isn't it? It's all about questioning the right people and, and being brave to, to ask the question. But, um, so, how did it progress from there then? So, you know, because obviously you did a lot of commentating. Um, what's been your kind of the, the most successful? Um, commentary that you've done um, so far? There are a
1: lot of events that I've covered which I think have been successful and a lot also which I think if I look back now and judge myself to my standard now that I think aren't successful and um, I've been here there and everywhere I've been around the business I've done a lot of events um, but there are a few that I am really quite proud of and I think most of them have come actually in the last year or so I'm, really excited and proud that the work that was done to create the WTF1 charity event that happened on the race which was (laughs) I I think fantastic mainly due to the fact that you know I was given license to go and create the event and create the formats and see how everything works out and that came to a rip-roaring success um and, and on top of that you know I've had the ability to call iRacing World Championship events in the past and You know, those sorts of events have been a real eye opener into okay, what sort of level is professional, especially when you look at where, say, iRacing's commentary is looking right now and they're grabbing in Radio Le Mans and uh, people like um, Martin Haven and just so many people from the real world coming in that Uh you now start to look at it and go, I'm a part of that history and a part of that lineage where Mm -hmm. you look at commentary and you go, okay. That there's foundation now. Let's let's try and build. Let's try and move forward. You know everything's a process, and you've got to keep learning to move forward and learning to feel like you can get better than you were the step you were. Is you're only as good as
0: your last broadcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what was it that kind of attracted you to actually um, commentary work? Because I mean, that's quite a it's a challenging environment. You've got to be able to think on your feet. Um, And if things go quiet, you know, be able to fill in and things and make it sound exciting. Um, What was it that kind of made you think, yeah, this is what I can do? Um,
1: That's a difficult question, actually, because it's not something that I actively thought of when I started. Like, why do I do this? Why do I enjoy this? And it's something more that's come later on in terms of how I've been trying to understand commentary that it's got to where i am right now and i think the understanding that i have commentary now is that you are the storyteller mm-hmm. without commentary you find that races are very dull and very boring and that, now that's across the whole spectrum of sports as well and yeah. I, I think it's very crucial to understand that the commentary position is the toughest position in a race to try and coordinate try and work and actually to try and do well because a poor commentator doesn't get your race across and if you don't get the race across you don't get the drives across you don't get the action across and to be quite honest you you know you don't promote the series enough and I think that you know my role is to be a storyteller my role is to make everybody else look good and I've got to make some people look really nice and look really really attractive I've got to make some people look like they're the villain uh, when it comes (laughs) to a race with an incident and you know no matter which way I look at it, everyone wants to be a hero. no one wants to be a villain. And you know, you have to make friends, you have to make enemies along the way. So it's, it's one of those things where commentary is probably the most thankless position that you find out there, maybe second to marshalling and stewarding, but yeah. it's one which is so rewarding when you put a really good story together and you feel like say you couldn't have written that in a book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So now that you've, you know, you've done commenting for a good, a good while, Uh, Do you have any kind of uh, other commentators that you kind of look up to or you kind of maybe learn a little bit from uh, things like that? Maybe perhaps from real motor racing or or sim racing as well? I I look in a whole
1: range of places. There's a lot of people that I look up to uh, in terms of commentary. My first real person that I grew up and idolised was James Allen. and. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I was someone who just in terms of my memory missed the Murray Walker age. I sort of yeah. remember racing 0-4 and onwards mm-hmm. like that. So James Allen was the guy that I grew up with. And you know, yeah. I can pick him apart now, but he was someone that I went, God, I'd love to sound like him. I'd love to You know, talk like him one day. Um, But there's so many people that I look to right now. Um, Keith Ewan on BT Sport, he's so good on the MotoGP when he's not talking about Cal Crutchlow. Um, He's just so intelligent and, you know, that sort of snappy out there style. I think something I'd try and emulate when i try and work um i I listen to people like peter drury who i think has been brilliant when it comes to football commentary i i look all over the place in terms of finding some great voices i listen quite a bit to jim nance because he has a whole way of saying something really really effectively and on top of that i'll even go to wrestling and say people like uh, jim ross and excalibur have been you know influencers to me in
0: terms of the way that i try and call an event Uh That's brilliant. Because one of the big things is that if you're you're watching a race and it's a bit quiet um, and you have to try and make it sound exciting and interesting to keep the the audience's attention. So what do you do when that happens? What's the kind of first thing you think of to try and uh, fill in a gap um, when things are a bit quieter? It's a process. So it depends on how you...
1: Call a race and what you have in a race because I've gone from a commentary position where I think up until last year, we all had to try and figure things out ourselves and try and find the story and go to X car here. I want to talk about this director, come follow me. Whereas now we all go through the television routes, which is that we have a broadcast feed, we call explicitly what's on the broadcast feed, which is a little bit tougher in terms of that respect of trying to make things entertaining. But I think that what you find now, in terms of okay, how do you make a story interesting, is that you've got mm-hmm. to talk about things maybe that you wouldn't think about first. So for me, uh, when it comes to okay, what hasn't been talked about, I look at okay, where are they now? Where did they start? Do I know anything about this driver? Do I not know anything about this driver? And how how do I know this driver compared to other drivers that I feel are at a certain level? You know, you're you're always trying to find something, be it. You know, track knowledge, driver knowledge, car knowledge. There's always a little something that you can grab onto and you can continue to go with. You can fill for an hour just talking about the car, the track, you know, the drivers. And, you know, even if there's nothing going on and nobody's making an overtake and everyone's about 20 seconds apart practicing their social distancing, you know, there's always something there that you can talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I think that's what we always remember, um, especially from the the older uh, commentators because we used to watch Grand Prix in the late 80s, early 90s and kind of going forward from there. And there were some fantastic, they came up with some great phrases and great ways to kind of uh, keep the the audience entertained. Um, And I always remember it was the French Grand Prix back in 1992 when Murray Walker and, um, oh, it's gone straight from my head. Oh, the one who took on what was the one that was there, the chap who died about 43, uh, James Hunt. Um, yes. And uh, and so the two of them, the the, the the video pictures went. And so Murray Walker and James Hunt had to keep going when nobody could see anything. And from that, it sounded like we were missing the best Grand Prix ever in history, Um, when actually nothing was <laughs> happening. And the Murray Walker was saying how close, at least it was, to Mansell. And he was challenging for second place or whatever it was. And then when, we, when it restarted and we finally got the pictures through, there was hardly anything that happened. He was about five seconds behind them, um, but, uh, but I think they were obviously trying to do it to keep people um, motivated. But they also said, you know, sometimes quite terrible things about drivers. Um, there was one, with Philip, I think it was Philip Alio, and James Hunt said, and there's Alio who had spun off and nearly took Mansell out in Portugal. And he says, Alio, who always crashes anyway, has once again shown his lack of skill. Um, how do you find, uh, have you ever had to say something that you think was maybe quite brave against a driver um, in a race, um, and have they ever come back to you and commented afterwards? All too
1: often. All, <laughs> all too often. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's not afraid to share his opinion uh, in terms of putting things out there. I've said all sorts of things over the years, actually, about drivers, and I've called people walking chicanes and, you know, all the rest of it when it's come to, you know, how people are driving. And uh, the first thing that comes back when they, you know, you get a mouthful from it is... You know, I I say nasty things like that because I want you to succeed. I don't want to say those sorts of things. It's, you know, the the simple fact is, is that every driver wants to be number one. And not everybody can do that when it comes to a race. And sometimes they, you know, you have to settle for podium or top five or top 10. Or, you know, sometimes Mm. you crash out of the race. You know, every driver doesn't want to crash out of a race. But, you know, when you see a driver do it over and over again, you say, Come on, I, I want to see you get better. I want to see you improve. I have a lot of great respect for you. And you know, I think you could do X, Y, and Z to get better. There's just an outsider looking in. I've got a piece yeah. of story together. If you're gonna crash three times in a row, I'm gonna call yeah. you out. You crash three times in a row. Come on, yeah. you know.
0: You
1: can't you can't else. ignore the story for niceties.
0: Yeah, I and I think sometimes that you have to go, oh, you're telling the truth of the event at the end of the day as well, aren't you? Um because you can't ignore major major stories in in the in the race itself. Um, which is good. Well, I'll start asking some of the questions that we have. Uh, and the first one was from Luke from the Sim hum, Um, And he said, what was the most appealing thing that got you into sim racing?
1: Probably how close everything was and how close all the battling was, because I, I think it's something that often gets overlooked and undersold when it comes to sim racing as a whole collective product is that, you really struggle to find racing out there in the real world that is quote unquote close there'll be a couple of series Mm -hmm. here and there that will be close but you will see that for example the top event of Formula One it's normally a walk away between two drivers at the end of the day and you see that the battle is a minute down the road for third place whereas Mm -hmm. you look at sim racing for example and you could put all the top 40 professionals in a car uh, who you could say is best in the world and you won't find them split between 15 seconds after about 15 laps worth of racing it's that exciting it's that amazing and that that's the sort of ceiling level that you find because everybody is at a level where they have to battle and they're fighting on a level playing field it's almost a case where i think that sim racing is so idealistic that i think that sometimes sim racing does itself a disservice and Mm -hmm. makes itself maybe less of a marketability than it should do but ultimately, I think that, you know, with the right people up at the top, you know, sim racing could very easily go on a fantastic boom period, which it has done over the last five years and could continue mm. to do so at a rate of knots, which say we've seen in other esports in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I certainly think from the number of interviews I've done with different, um, youtubers and sim racers, um, and, uh, and it's amazing to see the growth. Of sim racing, which is fantastic. And I think it's reinvigorated a lot of motorsport enthusiasts who were kind of finding it quite hard to be involved because, you know, it's it's maybe. It's quite an expensive sport to be a part of if you're watching real racing. And sim racing gives you a chance to actually have a go, get involved for very little cost, if any really, cost just getting the right setup and games and things um, or a PC or a, or, a, or a console. So I think it's really helped people get back into motorsport and especially when they do the big events like alongside. For example, I was talking to Josh Martin um, a few weeks back and he had been at the uh, one of the GT3 series in at Monza. Uh, so it was a real race going on outside and then they had put their, their sim racing um, uh, section in a in a one of the halls at the end of the pit lane, um, and so you can see the cars going past in the background, the real cars going past, and then there they when they do a studio interview, and then you had the real race, the the sim race that they were commentating on as well, and I think that's a brilliant way of of really getting people involved. And um, what's the most exciting thing you think at the present that sim racing is doing, and what do you see the future um, of sim racing? What would be your view?
1: God, I, I did a, an article about two years ago, um, which uh, isn't accessible now because I put it on um, a website that uh, I've lost licences to. Um, but I put an article on where is sim racing going to be in five years' time, and I said Red Bull would be in esports, and they have done with a absolutely massive team work that's done with likes of Sebastian Joe Patrick Holtzman, Graham Carroll. I was talking Mm -hmm. about prize money is going to be up there over 100,000. We know we're talking now 200,000, you know, dollar prize pool is pretty much standard now for a top championship. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that are coming up which are really, really fantastic in terms of what Sim Racing is doing. What I find exciting and what a lot of people maybe wouldn't find as exciting is that I am a really big fan of the leagues which go on in mm-hmm. sim racing because yeah. for all the events that are going on with say formula 1 and supercars and you know formula uh, yeah. formula 3 formula 4 all the rest of it that try and jump on and get something going the one thing that actually turns me off from sim racing and those sorts of events is the fact that they're drafting teams uh to mm-hmm. or they're drafting drivers to teams and using drivers as commodities more rather than using the already existing infrastructure within sim racing to say oh, let's pick up a team like Team Redline. Let's pick up a team like Coanda. And that's where I think something, say, like the V10R League, uh, which just concluded, which Team Redline won, was absolutely fantastic because that was an event which, okay, a set of course are old. You've got a lot of modding capabilities there. But what it offered was a way to rewrite the rules of racing but also make the event feel like it's esports more rather than it's an extension of racing. And I think that sim racing leans far too much over to that side of the plate. When in reality, it's got to have a bit of balance. It's got to have a bit of both. If things are, you know, going to really couple up in matrimony.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great answer, I think, isn't it? Because I think the, the real communities are in some of the smaller leagues as well. I mean, I follow a lot of the things that the SimGrid grid does, and that's that's growing a huge amount, um, plus other leagues in and i racing. Um, and it's great because that it's it's almost like it gets you right into the real feel of where people are in sim racing. Um, and they're all trying to get better. I mean that's that's why we all got sim rigs and things like that, because we all want to try and improve and, and get a chance to race in these leagues and, and do as well as we can. Um, so it's a great leveller in that way as well which is which is good uh, for it so I'll ask uh, some more of the questions that are coming up um, this is from the short master um, was there a moment in sim racing that left you speechless for you didn't know what to say during a time of commentary
1: yes um, and uh, there, there's been a couple times where I've had that and um, Actually, it came in one of the most inauspicious uh, moments, I think, in terms of uh, a commentary position, because sometimes I I, I lean into the American style of commentary, which is where you sort of breathe, you give the moment a little bit of space, you let things settle, and then you go in and talk again. It took me a little while to get to that, but I, I sort of understand that from, you know, the people that I was learning from earlier. But for me the moment that got me speechless and it's an inauspicious race it's part of the iris and grand prix series broadcast which are done on SimSpeed tv on a saturday night Mm. and you know it was just as simple as a battle going on for fourth and fifth and two drivers who were really making progress really needed a good result both of whom threw themselves off the road at malmedy corner at spa francashamp and it's like oh come on like (laughs) Like, we, we haven't had a battle for about five laps, and the moment we're about to get it, they throw themselves off the road. It's like, oh, come on.
0: Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so when it just all goes horribly wrong and that's it, isn't it? You're expecting something to happen, and it, and it doesn't happen. That, um, but I think from as well some of our, our, our uh, viewers here that are commenting in, in the comments there are saying, like, there's the, this is the Hub- Hublot Ferrari eSports race, um, and they're using a set of Corsa as their platform. And that's gathered a lot of momentum. I know there's been a lot of had some YouTubers there, they've had some a lot of professionals driving in that. And, and, and that's a quite big audiences, and people are quite um quite behind it as well, which is quite good. Um, it's how do you see? I mean, obviously you've got the kind of GT sports and then you've got the 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 single seater cars and the racing. Cause the and when you talked as well about the the V10. Um the uh, v8 version. What was the one you just you just mentioned? It? A V10R. V10R, yes. How did all that work? Because that was not many people might know about that. And um, that's quite a, a special championship. That one. av 10 r was something
1: that was created in, I believe, conjunction with the United Arab Emirates, and was something that really quietly went on behind the scenes and was something that even caught me by surprise a little bit, having a a, a huge championship like that, because they asked a whole load of fantastic teams. They asked Porsche, I think they asked Racing Point, Renault, Redline, and they they sort of brought that together into a format where Hmm. every race was like, okay, well, you've got like a 4v4 or something like that, and you race around the tracks for like, say, five laps. And effectively you need as many drivers in front of the other drivers as possible. It's almost like you're trying to build the Ryder cup into yeah. a race. Yeah. And it's something that I've, I, I've had a little bit of an idea of like a couple of years ago, I thought about when I was 20, maybe making something like that, making like a one V one tournament where you have three laps and whoever mm-hmm. wins goes through sort of thing. But yeah. ultimately I think that V10R is really different and I think with enough traction in, in the community and with enough people like pushing it as okay, this is different, this is really fun. This isn't the racing I know, but it's something which I think could really go out there. You know, there's probably about 20 sim racing events a year which really capture the attention of everyone. And there's a hundred yeah. that should capture the attention of everyone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And of course the V10 R series that has that uses the kind of current looking following on cars, but with the V10 engine isn't it so um it's it, they do sound pretty good as well um and i think that was one of the big things i saw I think, was it was that Majuk was was driving was driving in that one the, the I think an australian um youtuber mm. who was in that and it seemed it seemed great fun to watch i thought i watched the first one um and i thought oh yeah this is this is definitely a lot of fun um i could see a lot of people getting behind that uh, because of the noise and the kind of it's a bit more uh invigorating when you get that kind of sound coming through from the engines uh from all those kind of cars which is great that um so what's your kind of current projects and, and projects to come and um, that you're gonna be working on so that we can let all your fans and followers know? I I am
1: doing so much at the moment when it comes to not, not just sim racing but esports in general. Um I, I've been working for the last three years with SimSpeed TV, who have been absolutely fantastic to me, the work that Jake Kennedy and Scott Fountain have done to build Australian sim racing into the power hub that it is right now and when you've got drivers like josh rogers and dane warren and jared philsell and so many more that maybe people don't know like andrew gilliam and harley haber and you know mm-hmm. all of those sorts of drivers you know SimSpeed's done a wonderful job and most of the drivers that you see at the top end of SimSpeed broadcasts they're the sort of guys that you're going to be finding in the repco supercars e-series which is coming up from october to december so that will be on a tuesday or a wednesday and that will definitely be well, actually on a tuesday it moved from wednesday to tuesday so that'll be on a tuesday and make sure you uh watch that but mm-hmm. you know um SimSpeed tv they've done a wonderful job i spend a lot of time with world pro racing on r factor 2 and grand Turismo of sport and the set of course of competizione um mm-hmm. for what they've done in multi sim racing they have built that on a platform which is simply incredible and have put sim racing on platforms which i think nobody has been able to network like world pro racing has for example they're on estv which is the esports television network in the united states they're on uh motorsport uh, tv um mm-hmm. online they're on tvm sports in malta which is just incredible uh so world pro racing something brilliant um i i'm open for bookings of course so if anyone wants a sim racing event name your price and i'll see if i'm available um but i do work with uh, some indian sim racing as well ire sports they are uh going to be really really fun to work with and it's something that isn't really talked about right now but i think two years three years maybe even five years down the line indian sim racing is gonna really grow when it comes to the market and everything like that so yeah, you know, keep an eye on ire sports as well and of course i'm also trying to break in um to a real world commentary career as well i jumped up um, to the Rich Energy British Mini Bikes um, about a month ago now, and that was yeah. uh, incredibly fun to sink my teeth into that. And,
0: uh, yeah, uh, hopefully on top of that, I'll be uh, streaming a little bit on Twitch as well. Fantastic. So in terms of, you know, I suppose a lot of people wouldn't think how much does it cost to, to actually put together a kind of um, sim racing league? I mean, I suppose depending on how, how, how much publicity you need. But, I mean, in terms of an idea of figure sense, is it something that, be, that can be done on a shoestring or is it does it if you're gonna make it work, does it need a lot of backing? Depends what you're looking for.
1: Um I, I know a lot of leagues that put a lot of money in. I know a lot of leagues that put next to no money in. And it depends on what sort of thing you're looking for your league and how you want it to get going and how big do you want it. Because there's so many things you look at when you're trying to build a league and build an understanding, you've got to think about, okay, broadcast fees for one. Who do I want to broadcast it? How much do I pay the people who's broadcasting it? How much does the server cost, for example? How much uh, is it going to cost to get people to build a mod, for example, depending on what sort of server you're on? How how much are you thinking about putting out advertisements? And are you going to yeah. get people in to go and sponsor your series? There's There's a million different things you look at when it comes to a league. Someone like me, you know, I run a league. I'm about to run a second league as well. So I run a a meme series called Max Pants, which runs every 13 weeks or so every three months or so. And that I put the minimal amount of effort in on and it. it it's just so fun to watch yeah. people try and work out what's the craziest way you can go and win a race and <laughs> people win a race in the craziest way. And it's, it's all a laugh and a joke, but I look at something else that I am doing, which is uh, with a group, of people called crest auto sports, which are effectively a rally group, but they're now really going to branch out into all sorts of simulators and pretty much everything out there on the market. Um, You know, I could be a lot more serious about that. I can put, you know, maybe a lot more money into hosting servers, practice servers, race servers. I could think about, okay, do I need to group? Do I need to put people in a discord server? Do I need to put people in a Facebook group? Do I need to go through different channels? And, and, you know, you can just keep thinking and thinking, OK, what do you need? What budget do you have? Depends on, you know, how big do you want to go? How high is the ceiling? If you're looking for the best events in the world, um, you're probably looking at you probably need at least, you know, 10,000 in the back pocket if you're going to attract the top drivers. But, yeah. you know, if you're just looking to put on a fun league where drivers are going to be quick and everyone's going to want to race for a good time, you don't really need to spend any money on the prize pool. You can say the prize is winning.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. Is it quite expensive to buy servers and things like that? I've heard of a few people who have servers on things like a set of corsa and I think that a set of corsa competizione. Is that something that's quite expensive or is it fairly cheap to do?
1: I don't know what the prices of servers are in other places. I know that for iRacing, for example, which is where I spend the majority of my time, um, mm. you're paying about fifty cents for an hour's server. So every that's fifty cents you put in. You know, you put in servers, but I know people who have put in so many servers, trying to build up a series and try and build up a community around it. I know there's people in Oceanic Sim Racing, which is down under, who put on about six servers every week. For uh, oh, actually no, it's a lot more than that. They put on say five qualifying servers, three race servers. Um, three practice servers for the big championship, two race servers sometimes, and that price sort of adds up over a year. Where they're paying, say, for example, if it's a hundred pounds, say, for a year subscription on iRacing, they're Mm -hmm. spending an extra three, four hundred pounds just on servers alone. So you really do sort of get that understanding of okay, Mm -hmm. some places can be really cheap with servers. You could put up a server for nothing. Something like Gran Turismo Sport, for example. Something like say Forza Motorsport. It's not going to cost you a penny because you've, you've bought the game. You've bought everything that you need to yeah, sort of get yeah. yourself in for that quick fire into sim racing. But say for other places who need to recoup money in other ways, you know, yeah. you are going to be spending a bit more. And you really do need to look over your shoulder a little bit when it comes to yeah. servers.
0: Yeah. Now, that's it's good to know because um, there's lots of people trying to do uh, leagues and championships. And uh, some of my followers were recommending that I start a, a hat trick racing league. Um, so we'll have to see how we go, but it's good to get an idea of what it costs and how it can all work uh, and come together. And obviously your experience there um, is, is invaluable and um, in how you put them all together. But um, now I'll go back to a quick question that I've got from one of my co-hosts here, uh, from Andrew Ma. He says, James Allen's downfall um, was that he tried to sound like Murray Walker for effect instead of just being himself. Has Jake ever fallen into that trap? And if so, how did he pull himself out of it?
1: that's so difficult to look at in terms of trying to pull yourself back out and say am I trying too hard to be something I'm not and you know you look at it and you take advice from a whole manner of places you know James Allen was someone who I think was really good as a pit reporter came in for the first couple of years and looked really good but you know when you're following Murray Walker, let's be fair. It's the (laughs) toughest job in the world to follow Murray Walker. You can have the most amazing commentator, arguably the greatest commentator that ever lived by history and by fans is Murray Mm. Walker. The person after Mm. Murray Walker is always going to sound not as good. Now let's give credit to James Allen. He sounds a lot better than the guy who jumped in 2009, 2010 to go and follow him. So ultimately, you know, we haven't had really a good commentator until David Croft came along. And that yeah, that was yeah. really, really tough to find in terms of a lead commentator. But mm-hmm. for me, in terms of have I had a moment where I've, I've tried to sound like someone that I'm not, I wouldn't say I've had a moment where I've sounded like someone I'm not. I've, I'd more say I, I, I'd have a moment where I've maybe lent into too many little elements here and there. And Mm -hmm. it's taken someone and a good friend of mine, Brenton O'Brien, he runs the uh, Evolution Racing team. He recently retired from racing uh, or sim racing at the back end of this year. Um, Mm. And, you know, he sent me a message one day and said, you know, you're not as good as you were maybe a year ago, two years ago. And I was like, oh, am I not? Well, let me have a look at what I've done yeah you know you, you kind of make a point so you you start to look at things and it, sometimes it's it's the people around you that you know that can, can say things to you will say things to you and go you know what you know sometimes you do need someone to tell you you're not as good as you were that time and you yeah. need to have a little bit of a, a re-look at things because it's so easy just to fall into habits if you know everyone's just telling you oh yeah you're doing a good job you're doing a good job you know yeah it doesn't That's- give you much to work
0: on it sounds like you're very kind of. I mean, to be that to be open to criticism in that way is it's hard to take. And um, no, it's, it's a good thing that you're able to kind of hear that and and then you take it as a complete way to improve what you're doing, um, which is really good. We we had some quite fun times in the summertime there. You know, when they were doing the F one esports um, earlier on in the year before the the Formula One series started properly. And so me and my, and my co-host Andrew Marr, um, decided we'd try and do some kind of uh, it was like kind of podcast commentary because uh, we could watch the race as it was live, turn the sound down and turn the sound off. And we did our kind of alternative uh, commentary on it. Mm. And and it was quite hard. I thought it's, it's good for us to practice. but we We'll have a go and see what it's like, because we quite enjoyed the, the chance of doing it. But because they weren't really serious races, especially when they had a lot of the gas, you know, they had damage off. So they were just crashing into each other and, and it wasn't really that great. There were one or two exceptions where they did quite well, which was the Brazilian race, uh, Brazilian Grand Prix when it was Albon, And uh, I think it was uh, George Russell had a very very close battle for most of that race. So that we kind of felt that one that was a more serious attempt. I think sometimes we've certainly found it's easier to commentate on a more serious race, which is a kind of proper race, than if it's just a bit pandemonium and people aren't you know there's too many um, easy ways out. You know, if if there's no damage on the cars, people didn't care what they were doing and they just crashed into folk for the for the sake of it. How do you find, I mean, your races are, are very, very serious. Um, What's your approach? Uh, you know, if someone asks you to do a kind of comedy race, not a comedy race, but, you know, something that's a bit more entertaining, how do you change your your approach to something like that? I,
1: I don't really change too much. I, I like to think that you can be serious and you can be funny at the same time. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that, that there is ways about that where you can do that and there's ways that you can commentate and you know you can have a little bit of a laugh and a little bit of a joke about things uh, whilst you go along as well and you know i think that most of commentary comes down to dynamic and style and mm. uh, it's not just the dynamic of what race have you got what sort of style of race it is i'll call a casual race the same way i'd call a world championship race that 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 for me is the way that i do things i give everything a hundred and you know h- how i balance and nuance things maybe i'll be a little bit more lax maybe i'll i'll say things a little bit more loosely i'll be a bit more jokey a bit more jovial but at exactly the same time it comes down to the dynamic of who you're working with you know there's mm-hmm. some people i can work out here in the business who i would take things completely 100 seriously with because that's the way that they work there's some yeah. people who i know i can have a really good joke with and in terms of a teamwork dynamic you know i can have a really really good laugh with things it's mm-hmm. all about who you work with and. Really, what doesn't get talked about enough with commentary? It's about who you're paired with and who you get along with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Aye, if you bounce if you bounce off them well, isn't it? That's that's always the thing. But um, just uh, before we ask another question, just to everyone who's watching from all over the world, I know we've got people from Australia, New Zealand, we had Norway as well. If this is your first time watching the Car Sim and Race Driver Show, we've got lots of interviews that we've done with many sim racers uh, and uh, uh, also real racing drivers too. So if you want to look at our back catalogue, it'd be fantastic. And of course, um, you can hit that subscribe button and give us a like as well. That would be fantastic. But of course we have Jake Sperry, Here today with us. uh, And you're, I mean, I have to say, I was so impressed. I thought, where am I going to start with this commentary history that you've done with all these different um, companies and and races that you've that you've done? Um, we've talked a little bit about the future of where you think it's going, but in your own time, do you find that you race a little bit as well? Do you you have any time at all to do a little bit of, of racing for fun?
1: Um, right. Now, this is where things are going to get very interesting. I like to say that I am from the Jacques Villeneuve school of sim racing driving, mainly because I use one of these when it comes to drive. And, you know, people hate me for all the world because I drive on an Xbox One controller. And I say, well, that can't be the worst because I used to drive on a PS3 controller. Um, (laughs) But for me, when it comes to racing and really going out there and racing, I race for fun. I don't race seriously. I don't race esports professionally. Um, and I don't have the pace to race really fast or fun or professionally. And, you know, if I find a series that's fun and I have a little bit of free time, I may jump on from time to time,
0: but I really don't race that often. Yeah. Yeah. So and and, and in terms of as well, um, do you have any kind of tips and tips and hints for people who are running league racing and they're maybe trying to commentate um, because it's on a shoestring and they're finding that that's the job that's been allocated to them? Um, how? What would you recommend as to how they start or what kind of approach is a good way to start off as a commentator? Um,
1: if you're trying to commentate, the first thing you need is time in the booth because it doesn't matter how much you think that you're you're good or you're bad or you haven't done it before and you want to try. Or if you are trying a little bit, but maybe you're a little bit unsure of yourself the one thing that will get you better is time and just doing it more and getting an understanding and getting a feel of what makes a commentated race. The second thing that you do is you look at dynamics and look at other people who have been out there, who have been commentating for a little while and go, okay, okay, Maybe I can learn this. Maybe I can add this into my repertoire and all of the rest of that, which, you know, brings in together. So you can always learn from someone else. I'm still learning now. I'm six years in the business of sim racing commentary. So I, I still think I've got a long way to go. And that proved when I went to the British Mini Bikes Championship, because I felt a little bit out of my depth with someone who I, I listened to for the first time and thought, you know, let's be honest. I, I, I don't know if maybe i'm going to learn that much from him but then i went and i learned so much more than i thought i did and i didn't even ask a single question to the guy about commentary or anything like that i just looked and went wow this guy knows a lot and i can take this and this and this and god there's so much more i can learn from it so you're always learning you've got to get time in the booth and on top of that try and do different sorts of things as well don't just be satisfied with doing just one race a week or just one type of racing because you're never going to expand and learn about all the differences that are needed in styles of racing i'll happily say that i've done 24 hour events i've done sprint race of 30 minutes in a master i've even gone and done things like nascar events from time to time yeah. just because it gives you that flexibility to go well okay well, how how can I call this maybe a different style and learn and take that and maybe add a little element of this here and there, which, you know, helps to build up, you know, a library in the back of your head. So, you know, everything out there is there to only help you and time. Mm -hmm. And especially with sim racing, because there's so many sim races out there and there'll be people who want broadcasts and for people who want to have that fun, you know, you've got so much time available And I know so many people who want to do it that just don't. And, you know, the platform's there. All you've got to do is ask. And, you know, most people are nice here in this industry. They'll say yes.
0: (laughs) That's great. I mean, what do you say are the essentials for commentating? Because obviously when you're watching it, especially on a a sim race, um, sometimes, you know, um, some of the key bits are blocked out on the screen when we watch them. For example, all the people competing. Um, Have you ever found it hard to think, right, you know, to recognise a car number? Or who is driving what car? Um, Or do you find that you're always given the information you need to be able to to, to find out who is who?
1: Sometimes I jump onto a broadcast with two minutes to go and just go call it. So I don't know what the paints are. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know anything. And effectively, you're doing the ECW or Extreme Championship Wrestling thing where Paul Heyman puts together a match on an Atkin. He says, right, who's here? Who's here? Ah, uh, Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio's here and he can go wrestle, ah, Juventud Guerrera. So we can have that sort of match. And it's that sort of thing, what you're looking at, where sometimes you won't even know who, who you've got to commentate on and who you've got to race on. And so you've got to work on the fly on to, in terms of who's what, who's who, you know, who's going to do exactly what's where and who's racing. So I, I honestly think that the thing that's needed for, for commentary is excitement. That's the first thing I have. If you're not exciting, you know, you're not selling. And you know, there is one company that I've worked for in the past that I will very happily name in this situation, apex racing TV, who has a big problem with trying to be exciting from time to time. Um, mm. Not to say that other companies aren't and other commentators aren't, but the first thing you have to have is an excitement mode, because yeah, if yeah. you're just going to be there talking and, you know, in a low sort of tone you look at Radio Le Mans, for example, even in a 24-hour race, it sounds exciting. It sounds like they want yeah. to be there. It sounds like it's going to be something you really want to enjoy. If you don't have that level of feeling like you're excited by it and sounding like you're excited by it, even if you are, th- that's it. You're not selling it to other people if you don't sound like you're excited. The first thing you have to be is excited. Not overly excited, but to a level where you feel like, you know, you're excited.
0: Yeah, and actual that, enthusiasm. Isn't it for the for what's going yeah. on? Uh, yeah, you see, if, if it's too low tone, people are going to be thinking, "Oh, he's not even interested in what's going on." Um, but uh, no, that, that's that's fantastic. But um, now we've got another another uh, question here uh, regarding uh, pl- uh, it's uh, commentators. Um, you need to know the racers' personalities, and Col- David Coulthard is an example of someone who definitely makes his opinions known whenever Grosjean does a goof. <laughs> does Jake think the commentary is better? when the commentator has an opinion? Uh, It
1: it depends on the role. Um, I I think it's a lot easier for someone in a colour position who has been in a championship, who's been in and around drivers and sort of understands the driver's mentality. It's a lot easier for them to have an opinion. What people normally say is that, you know, the guy who's in charge, who leads the broadcast, his role is storytelling. His role is not to have an opinion or, Understand anything about that, but you know, how many times we heard about the opinion of David Croft this season about Cyril ball getting a tattoo for Daniel Ricardo being on the podium? You know, we've yeah, heard that yeah. almost every race for the last five races when Renault's been doing well. Um, yeah. the, the the point is is that you know, opinions are part of commentary. This is as much as it is the races story. you know commentary is personal it's your story as well you get to tell someone else what you think about this race you are guiding an audience and saying this is what's happening in this race Mm -hmm. you can give your opinion and the first thing i'll say is your opinion's right until it's wrong um which is the point in saying that your opinion is right unless enough people tell you it's wrong and you have the ability to go and change your mind and say yeah, I hold my hand up. I made a wrong opinion. And, you know, my opinions changed. And that, that's something that I think in society often goes very much underappreciated right now is people who can actually go out there and change their opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or admit when they were wrong. Yeah. I think that's a big a big one, isn't it? So yeah. in, in terms of all the, the commentators out there, who's been some of the biggest names that you've ever met or in, or in motorsport? Um, who's been your, your claim to fame? Um, because obviously you've been around quite a bit and, and commented on lots of different races
1: uh, I haven't really had the opportunity to really commentate with anybody that's been um, that's really been professional uh, in that sort of sense I've sort of been working around with a few guys here and there who've done quite well there's yeah. You know, few people I have worked with um Lockie Mansell uh over at Simsby he's someone who's on the uh, Australian broadcast circuit um mm-hmm. from time to time normally does you know a few lower style events in terms of the categories but he's someone who definitely I think could be a very very good pit reporter I think mm-hmm. for supercars in the future he's someone definitely to look out for um but I, I've had an opportunity to talk to a couple of people and I've you know I, I could sit here and talk for hours about um how good andrew coley is who's the guy who's the commentator of the fia world rally cross um mm. i sent him a linkedin message about a month and a half ago and that somehow spurned itself into about uh an, an hour's worth phone phone call with him and i was someone uh-huh. who was definitely not on his radar and i was like hey you know can i have a little bit of help can i you know Am I doing well right now? Is there anything that I can learn from? Is there anything I can understand so I can, you know, maybe just push into the industry a little bit? And that's, Uh uh, uh, you know, I don't have enough words to say how much of a nice person Andrew Coley is. And Mm -hmm. really in terms of what he's done for me in terms of understanding things, um, you know, i'm I'm so grateful for what he's done and you know just how much time he has for people who are you know happy just to you know just ask a question and, and and that's the thing with a lot of people a lot of commentators or some commentators will be very defensive of their craft and they don't want anybody rising up and taking their place as yeah. this industry has a tendency of doing it's almost like you know you build yourself up to stab someone in the back um yeah. but you know in terms of nice people and i think it goes the same way for me as well All you've got to do is ask, you know, I I can't help you if you don't, you know, let me know that you need some help. So, you know, all you've got to do is ask.
0: Fantastic. Now, that's that's the thing. And uh, now, here's a statement. I wonder if you agree with this one. Uh, According to my co-host, Andrew Martin, the best in the last 25 years, apart from Mr. Walker, of course, is Martin Brundle, closely followed by David Coulthard and then Mark Webber. And he also says Lee McKenzie is very good, as was uh, Louise Goodman. Um, uh, Louise Goodman commentates or does uh, pit work in the BTCC. Um, would you agree with some of that statement or do you have particular commentators that are working out there in Formula One and other races that you think are, are right at the top of the game? you're starting to blur the lines now between
1: a commentator, a presenter, uh, a pundit, an analyst, and someone who gives interviews. They're all very, very different, but they all sort of blend into this same realm. But, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, there are a few differences. Um, I disagree. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Martin Brundle is very good, but I wouldn't say that he is uh, the best. I think he's been an iconic voice, Um, but, I'd say someone like Keith Hewen, I think, has been really, really fantastic. I think you can look up and down the motorsports uh, industry and there's people out there who have done really, really amazingly. But I, I honestly think that you have to be really, really cautious and say, you know, who's really, really good, because there will be a whole boatload of people who are sat underneath who could really uh run themselves up to the top someone like uh, uh hindi john Hindor, uh, has been mm-hmm. someone who's uh, been incredibly good and you know you can even go over to the united states i you know don't often talk about this but i really like the commentary that mike joy does who does mm-hmm. the nascar he's someone yeah. who you just really learn and listen to and say oh, you know he just gets it and you have this feel of this is a nascar race when mike joy's on on the call
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah No, i have i watched some of the the um i racing when they were doing uh, racing when they're doing the nascar um and also the their um indycar races over the summer and they were fantastic um i have to say because i think they were using the same commentary teams as as they do normally for the real racing um and it was it was really great to listen to um, and I thought also when you watched it on on YouTube, it looked as real as as real cars. It was not much in it when it was on in HD and being broadcast out there. Um, I suppose as you say, you're, you're you're correct about that last phrase. Is that there was a, a number of different positions there? But it's interesting your take on Martin Brundle and and obviously you're you're a fan of David Croft as well. And I think there's a bit of a love hate with with David Croft. I know for a lot of F1 fans, I think he's grown on the F1 community. I don't know if he was. That well liked at the start, but he's definitely got a good position now. I think he's done quite well. Um, how about some of the other older ones? Um, I suppose you know, and the, the the chap who replaced James Allen was Jonathan Ledyard um, mm. do you, Yeah, <laughs> that, that Luke says it all. Um, but he yeah. only lasted a couple of years. Um, I quite liked when it was David Coulthard and Martin Brundle um, when they were at BBC. I thought they did. They were there for a year or two and did quite well. Um, do, is there an era there that you that you quite like, um, or a, or a, a kind of combination that you think would be would be very good?
1: Uh, the thing with Brundle Coulthard is that you had a dynamic where you've got a colour commentator and a colour commentator, which effectively mm-hmm. means you get all this information about the cars and the tracks and the drivers. But but you, it, it's almost like going in and looking at a storybook and it's all description you get about eight pages of description and you get about two throwaway sentences which drive forward the plot which some people mm. like some people love a really really descriptive storybook but you know for me as someone who is a fan who looks at you know racing and motorsport and commentary that's not a cup of tea that you know i, I think i'll drink all the way to the bottom <laughs> um Jonathan Legard had a problem and that was, he said problem too much. Um, yeah. he was someone who came from a sports background in the BBC, uh, and just, just didn't click, just didn't, yeah. didn't move forward. And, quite honestly I don't think that he sold the races enough and I think that he bumbled around for two years uh, mm-hmm. looking for something to be there which wasn't quite there for him in my view so that's something in terms of eras which I like commentary I, I, I really like the commentary that's being done right now by Croft and Brundle I think they're very yeah. entertaining I think they've done well um, yeah. I, I've been someone who watched quite a bit of, uh, of free broadcasting and you know when it's moved over to channel four and the like i really liked what ben edwards was doing on commentary with david Coulthard and and that sort of dynamic but Mm. now i'm starting to look at it and ben edwards has been in the role for a long time i look at ben edwards as someone who had a really really good early 2000s and late 90s calling like the cart sort of area but now i think he's gone backwards into a role where he's just coasting and Without trying to slander, almost like he's looking for a paycheck right now and is commentating because this is a good job and, you know, he can have some fun with it a little bit. I don't think that Ben Edwards commentates at his best right now, but Mm -hmm. he will go down as someone else who I think deserves to be up there as one of the great
0: commentators. Yeah. Eh? You know, that's good to know now. Every kind of commentator has a kind of phrase that they might use um, whether they whether they want to use it or whether it becomes uh, something they regret, you know, for Murray Walker it was go go go, you know, and and, and so on. Um, do you find that there's a phrase that you use um, maybe more than you would like to, or something that is, is your kind of that's your calling card? I um, hope people can recognise your commentary.
1: Oh, there's there's too many. There's there's far too many. You could make a bingo with sort of the things that I'd say sometimes on a broadcast, and you know, there's things that I try and get. Out of my uh, broadcast repertoire as quickly as possible, I've, I've had a habit in the last few broadcasts of saying that it's trying to negotiate a position. Um, and there, there's also an adage of mine which I say, Well, the door's left half ajar, and a jar's not a door, so therefore it's a, not a move, so it's not open. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, th- there's a couple things here and there that sometimes I do say which, um, maybe I can change and learn and go to but you know when you've been going around six years you know there's there's only so many ways you can say that's an overtake so yeah you know, <laughs> you'll find
0: something that you'll find comfortable with ah, so here's a quick challenge for you then if you were to introduce the show here is at the Car Simon race driver show and our today's guest is Jack Sperry have a go at that go and introduce yourself on the show and let's see what our what the fans think of your of a way of introducing the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Car,
1: Race and Sim Show. This is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful event. And uh, with me today is someone who has shouted all over the world uh, from the comfort of his seat. His seat's not quite that comfy, actually, at the moment, as he uh, curls up on it right now. It's Jake Sperry here today, uh, bringing along a little bit of a shouty, shouty man feel.
0: Fantastic. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, will it need to make sure that uh, we watch you for your uh, races that are coming up What's the, the next race that you'll be commentating on so we can all get ready to watch that? Um,
1: well, he- health, of course, because, you know, I'm actually quite struggling here. I've had flu for the last eight days, which has not been nice. Um, mm-hmm. All things going well. I think that I'll probably be looking at Sun uh, Saturday night probably is going to be the time where I'm going to be broadcasting next it'll be uh nine o'clock uh British uh so work that out for where you are around the world uh and I'll be calling the Irish in Grand Prix series for round six I think of the championship
0: fantastic oh that's great well it's absolutely brilliant um to have you on the show we've had a request actually Uh, one of my other co-hosts has asked you we have we have a special motto on the show Um, And it's uh, when we we kind of rebranded a couple of years ago. And it is drive fast and try not to crash. Um, How would you say that as a commentator? Well, he's got to drive fast and well try not to crash. That's great. (laughs) That's brilliant. We also have another one which is coming on our T-shirt, which says winning the race at the first corner, um, which is a kind of spoof on itself, because one of my co-hosts did um, his, his racing license at Silverstone. And uh, when he did it, it was about a three or four day course. He got all the kits and all the stuff, got ready. He was third on the grid for his first race. And it was all very exciting. And they had the driver's debrief um, or briefing beforehand. And they all went into the room and the, everyone was very quiet and very sensible. And then they said, does anyone um, got any questions at the very end? And Jonathan comes up to the head chief instructor says, yes, I'm going to win the race at the first corner. And the guy just put his hands to his head. And went, no, you haven't learned a thing. You know, obviously he was joking. But this, this, this was the thing. And then no, he did finish third as well for his first race, which wasn't too bad along it on the on the, the, the Stowe circuit at Silverstone, the kind of the small circuit. Um so yeah, so it's it's been fantastic. I'm just quickly checking to see for any more questions before we quickly um finish off. But everything has been incredibly positive. Um all saying that uh, they really relate to you as a commentator because you bring over the enthusiasm and bring the story um to the races, um, which is fantastic. So hopefully we'll, we'll make sure we're watching you on Saturday night. Um, I'll, if you've got any links and things like that you would like to send me for future events, just let me know and I'll put them on the, the, the show and give you a shout out um, for those. But it's been fantastic to have you on the show. And for all our viewers who been watching from all over the world, thank you very much for joining us on a, it's a special afternoon show with Jake Sperry on the Car, Sim and Race Driver Show. And this Saturday night at 8 o'clock, just for a short interview, we've got Kiris Cart, um, who is a YouTuber and a karting specialist and also races on GT Sport, so make sure you don't miss that. But for for now, I'll leave the, 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 the last word to Jake Sperry to finish and say goodbye, but thank you very much um, for coming on the show, Jake, and make sure you stay on the line when we finish the show.
1: Well, no worries at all. Pleasure to be here. And of course, uh, for those who haven't already, you have yourself the opportunity here on YouTube to look just down there. There's a little subscribe button as well. And if you haven't already, just give that a little like. Like's really good for the YouTube algorithm. So give this man a very, very big help because the work that he's done uh, over the last couple of years has been nothing short of sensational. From Hugh Hattrick and myself, Jake Sperry, we're signing out right now here with the Car, Race and Sim
0: Show. Thanks very much. Bye just now.